Welcome back to TV Podcast Industries. It's Monday. That means it must be Pennyworth. We're here talking about episode three, Martha Kane. Mr. Pennyworth. Yes, miss. Have we met? No. But you're the only man here who might conceivably be a security consultant. I'm Martha Kane. Miss Kane, please have a seat. I saw your ad in the paper. First time that's paid off. Usually business comes by word of mouth. I'm new in town. I don't have many friends, right? I've sought a recommendation. I thought Pennyworth sounded like a trustworthy name. How can I help you, Miss Kane? I need a driver bodyguard. One day, two days at most. We can do that. Let's say five pounds an hour, plus expenses, of course. Five pounds an hour is a lot of money. Your advertisement says ex-military. Yes, miss. Myself and all the boys. I expect you're all calm, capable men who know the value of discretion. And the price of ignorance. Thomas Wayne isn't a friend of yours, is he? I don't know the name. Hmm. Well, Miss Kane, you have a driver. Welcome back, Governors. We're talking about DC's Batverse with our Pennyworth podcast, and we're talking about the third episode, Martha Kane, a very, very famous figure in the Batman universe and the DC universe. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there, fellow Governors. Welcome back to TV Podcast Industries. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, we are here. Speaking about Martha Kane, mm-hmm. yes, a Martha. We've had Thomas, yep. and now we've got Martha. Yes, they just need to get hitched. Absolutely, that's Maybe all they can done. use. Pennyworth's uh, Alfred's uh, engagement ring uh, that he lost. Well, Esme gave back to him, at least at the start. Maybe, maybe. Uh, very interesting one, though. Uh, I did hear somebody put it on uh, on comicbook.com this week, apparently going, well, we've now seen the introduction to Martha Kane. Um, are we going to see the conception of Bruce Wayne? Now, I know this is an adult TV show, but I really don't need to know that that's the conception of of Batman in any of the episodes of this show. <laughs> I really don't need it to go that far. Um, welcome back, Governors. As, as, as John said, we're going to be talking about the third episode of the show. We've been kind of messed around a little bit this week um, with Epics and with everything that's been going on. Um, we're on the third episode of the show. All three of these episodes were released on the app, on the Epics HD app, but they're airing on the channel at 9pm every Sunday night. Um, so we're we're covering them because they're airing on the regular TV channel, the Epics TV channel. But they messed with us slightly this week. Without any announcements, they've also aired the fourth episode of the show, uh, Lady Penelope. It's airing directly after Martha Kane. Now, because we didn't have it in our plan, and we're also doing the boys on TV Podcast Industries, we haven't got episode four scheduled in to record. But we will get it out. We will record it. We will get it out before episode five airs on Epics next Sunday, okay? Yeah, it'll be a nice little treat midweek yes. for uh, everyone on TV Podcast Industries. Exactly. So you've probably watched both of the episodes back-to-back. We're only going to be talking about the third episode. We won't be spoiling anything with the fourth episode, so you can watch it whatever way you want to. Um, we know what happens, but we're not going to spoil it in this episode. This is only about Martha King. Yes. But before we get into our spoiler-filled review, please head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com uh, where you can subscribe on any evil or good or should i say straight laced or groovy podcast catcher of your choice there is spotify there is google podcasts there is apple podcasts you name it you can head on over there and subscribe to tv podcast industries Mm -hmm. where you will find the pennyworth podcast as well as the boys podcast as well as many other delights if you are so interested yes Um, yes and of course uh, please remember to send feedback and leave a review yeah i know it's difficult i know this this way it's being aired all over the place for some people some people are watching it in very different orders so let us know what you think uh, about any of the episodes that you've seen so far just mark it about the episode and we'll talk about it no matter what episode it's about no problem at all the boys by the way is the amazon prime ultra violent tv show that we're covering uh, as well we're doing that every wednesday so usually our pennyworth podcast comes out on monday boys on wednesday Obviously, the other Pennyworth episode, episode four, will probably be out maybe Thursday or Friday of next week. That's my plan, anyway. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Good stuff, Derek. What are some of the episode details for the third episode of Pennyworth, entitled Martha Kane? 
this episode is written once again by Bruno Heller. I want to call that out because I mentioned last episode I wasn't sure what way the series was working. Is there a writer's room at all or is this Bruno Heller's vision for the entire series? It is. He's written at least the first five episodes which we have access to for our reviews. Interesting. Yeah, Bruno Heller has written each one of the five episodes. So this is all on him. No other writers around him working on it. I don't think he's done a show like this uh, for a very long time anyway. Uh, within the Gotham universe he had about six or seven different writers and each writer took an episode of the show and then occasionally some extra, another the writer outside would come in and, and write one or two episodes as well so when you have a 22 episode show a much bigger commitment so you need a much bigger writer's room so this all seems to be bruno heller's vision which is quite cool yeah and i think in addition to the longer episode series it was on fox you yeah. know there was a change up it was originally supposed to be 13 episodes which he may have written all himself yeah. um if it stuck to that but it went to 16 it then went to 22 and then ultimately uh to some extent he got replaced um as the showrunner at least um by um uh, John Stevens. By the so, end of season two, yeah. Yeah, by the end of season two. So um, maybe he's been sketching out this plan for, for Pennyworth for some time now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think so. Good stuff. And interestingly, you mentioned Gotham Season 2. The episode was directed by Bill Eagles, who we haven't seen working with DC characters since Season 2. He did Episode 5 of Season 2, but he's probably most well-known by us as the director of one of the best episodes of Gotham Season 1. He directed... Everyone has a cobblepot, episode 18 of Gotham, which changed the rules effectively, told all of Gotham that everybody's in the pocket of their own version of cobblepot. Everybody in the GCPD has someone that they have to pay homage to and atone to for whatever sin they created. So a really wonderful episode of Gotham changed everything really for yeah, that show stuff. towards the end of that season. It's really Definitely. good. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. <laughs> Governor. Sure, Governor. <laughs> Alfred Pennyworth and Esme's engagement is over after a bad meeting with Esme's father, who threatens to disinherit her if low-standing Alfred attempts to marry his daughter. Later that night, at the Severed Arms Bar, Alfred is approached by a lady called Martha Kane, who offers him an assignment. Elsewhere, another meeting ends badly, as Lord Harwood meets the barber, who tortures and removes his nose. After breaking him, he is tossed out onto the street, dazed, dirty, and destroyed. The next day, Alfred picks up Martha and is told that the job is to assist in her rescue of a prized and persecuted scientist, Ian Thurso. He has developed a highly advanced computational machine and the Raven Society want it. As they release him from the local police station, they head to a disused US Air Force base to fly Ian and his boyfriend Sam to safety. But as the assignment becomes increasingly dangerous, and Alfred is told Martha is working for the No Name Society, he must use his quick wits to save Ian from the Raven Society. As Martha promises more work for Alfred, he and Esme attempt to make a fresh start in their own apartment. Somewhere in northern England, laying low from the law, a fidgety Bet Sykes wants to make it back down to London to also attempt a fresh start with Esme. Ah, a computational machine. Yes, by Jove, what is that? Yes, um, nicknamed the Computer, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is a really fun episode. There's lots of, lots of interesting stuff going on here. Um, and yes, many, many bad meetings in this episode yes, as well. a lot of bad meetings. <laughs> um, and yeah, I must say, I really enjoyed seeing Lord Hart. Enjoyed is not the right word. Mm. I think um, seeing the effect that they have with Lord Harwood without a nose is really, really good. I mm -hmm. don't know how they do it, but uh, yeah, it's a really good effect. I did notice that you made the same mistake in your notes that I did and wrote that he was uh, at the butcher's. Uh, it turned out to be the barber who took his nose, not the butcher. What happens when you get sent to the butcher's? I yeah, and, but that is Sweeney Todd, yeah. the barber of whatever the street in London is. Baker Street, is it? No, that is Sherlock. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, barber Butcher Street. No, it's the baker, <laughs> not the baker, or the candlestick maker. <laughs> it's the barber of such and such, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. We're going to have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, we are going to have to look John, get on your up. phone. I never say this to you on podcast. Get on your phone. Have a look up. Weirdly, I don't have my phone here. <laughs> Weirdly. <laughs> and back from a little Googling, John... Yes, it is <laughs> Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. We'll have to have a look at see if Fleet Street did appear in this episode at all. Yeah, uh, so I wonder if uh, Lord Harwood's nose made, made it into a really tasty pie. Ooh, oh dear, first followers. Slap up pie at Mrs. Miggins' pie shop. <laughs> well, there are loads of questions about that episode. That may be another question we need to add. But let's get into our first question about this episode. 
Why did Esme's father refuse the engagement? Because I think this kind of encapsulates a lot of things that are going on in the episode. This is the pre-opening sequence. This is where Alfred goes to meet Esme's father, the vicar in Salisbury Cathedral. Um, So really interesting that we have this interaction between the two of them. Uh, One quick thing I wanted to point out, and I don't know whether you saw this in the episode, John. Did you see the guy walking along in the background of this scene wearing a pig mask on his face? Oh, really? Yeah. No, I didn't. I was like, is this an early... In the club? Yeah, in the club where the two of these guys meet. You see a guy in a pig mask right behind them going by. I'm wondering what this is. Well, is this a very early Professor Pig? Maybe. Do you remember? And, but these upper-class clubs, mm-hmm. you know, all men, uh, could be David Cameron, and he was sort of <laughs> had his trophy after doing certain... Uh, Swine-related stuff to the swine. Alleged. Alleged. Alleged, yes. Um, but you remember back in season one of Gotham, we used to kind of constantly see Professor Pig thinking he'd never appear in the show, and then four seasons later he appears in the wonderful music episode. So yeah. uh, so maybe this is just an indication that Professor Pig's relations have been going all the way back well, to this time. Well, maybe so. I'll definitely have to go back and check that out. Mm. And also Lord Harwood, with his nose chopped off, looks slightly piggy <laughs> as well. Um, but back to the question, why did Esme's father refuse the engagement? I'm mm. not entirely sure i can answer that on a pg podcast and um, because yeah it's just because he's a bit of a nightmare right, I, right. I immediately dislike this man privileged and mm-hmm. um, pompous um and to be honest um i really like the scene i like the fact that they bring him in and so on i this just reminds me of upper class period dramas i really dislike this kind of um topic to be honest, um, about disinheriting this and, Mm -hmm. well, this is the basis of a good society and so on. And I know it's kind of, you know, if you look out on the streets of London with people in stocks, people begging, people hanging from lampposts, then Mm -hmm. he is in his own little world. And I I, I think that's why I dislike these characters of privilege uh, quite so much because they are blind to what's going on uh, to maybe ordinary people, people in the streets. Um, And and I have a little bit of a struggle with this because I think, to me, a lot of this feels at odds with the rest of the writing uh, and and characters. It feels like they're trying to shoehorn a period drama with Esme and her father and this relationship with Alfred uh, into something that is far more action-orientated, certainly more progressive mm-hmm. um, and and maybe it's the contrast there um but for, for some reason it's not working for me like it, it should do you know that contrast between ian thurso and his boyfriend and what's happening here with alfred and uh, esme's father mm-hmm. uh the vicar uh, you know it is a nice contrast uh of of um to some extent you know, that spectrum of, of society, so massively conservative, massively um, sort of uh, nostalgic, privileged, and then two people on the run because of their sexuality, mm-hmm. um, very much in love. Um, and you have this this cold idea of love that, you know, does he love his daughter at all? I'll just disinherit her if she does something that he, where she marries someone of in my mind, a lowly standard. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I like that they do bring this up. I like that they have the other side of the spectrum. But, um, yeah, it, it's just one of the things. I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, let's move on from this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I like this scene. I love the the interaction between Alfred and, and uh, the vicar, basically, because I love this idea that he's effectively saying he doesn't really care about his daughter's choices. He says he learned a little bit about Alfred uh, from his daughter, which we know not to be really true because she doesn't speak to him at all. She doesn't see him at all. She finds him a bore, as she describes him earlier on in one of the episodes. But I like that he says, well, I know the reputation of clergymen's daughters. They are notoriously wayward, so I keep my eye on everything she does. He says she'll be disinherited because... Alfred is the son of servants and she's a woman of good standing and sordid misery is the only thing that can follow from this union. It's so pretentious of this character. And I think what they're also saying about, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but what they're also saying here is he's a vicar. He's not a man of business. He's not a man of worldly wealth. He's a vicar who has tons of wealth behind him. So that, to me, would would strike me instantly as a corrupt individual in himself, becoming that wealthy by being a vicar of the people would necessarily 
mean that it's a, a different type of environment. We've seen a different type of government. We've seen people in masks in the street. We've seen the upper class of society here being very powerful people with lots of money behind them and quite different to the way it would be in the society of the 60s. And I think just the indication here is that he's a very wealthy vicar who's using his privilege to get what he wants for his daughter rather than what she wants for herself is a different type of thing than just a normal period yeah. piece. No, Do you know I'm, what I mean? No, it, it is. I mean, I, I think it's just, I generally am not a fan of, um, and I, I suppose it doesn't glorify it. That's the thing. It's not like a Downton Abbey that glorifies that Absolutely. kind of upper class kind of twit element. Yeah. Um, or, you know, where clergy is associated with the power of the day. And mm-hmm. it feels very much like we're moving back into Victorian times here in, in this universe exactly. compared to the Soho Club and, and the relationship that Ian and Sam have. Uh, and I suppose it's that clash there maybe where I'm like, and why, why have they cast Alfred and Esme's relationship in this light. It just seems to be, um, you know, there for... I don't know whether there's any particular reason for it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it could just be a strict father. Um, it doesn't need to be this kind of, you know, breeding and inheritance. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it, you know, you, you, you can see the genetic diseases moving through the bloodline already <laughs> as, we, as you speak about yeah. it. So... Um, but ultimately, it leads to Esme and Alfred yeah. uh, breaking up and the engagement being called off. Esme chucking the ring down o- on the counter as yeah. Alfred kind of says, well, there's really no hope for us here. Your father's made it perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we should call it off. Yeah. And Esme's saying she doesn't care about that at all. She's an actress. She's going to work her way up. She doesn't care about the money. She's already told him that, all that kind of stuff. Um I do, the one observation I do like from her father about Esme is that the reason why she's with Alfred is because she likes the dangerous side yeah. of him. I yeah. thought that was a really interesting reaction from Alfred as well because you hear him going, well, I may have been dangerous in the past, but that was because I was being paid to be. Effectively, I was in the army working for Her Majesty, and I feel that that was my purpose at the time. That has changed as I have as a person as well. I thought that was a really interesting interaction between the two of them. But this is the piece that I'm not happy with in in the episode. The rest of this, this whole conversation where he brings it to Esme and they break up for no reason. And then by the end of the episode, Alfred's having an argument with his father, saying that his father never wanted them to be together. Um, His father's saying to Alfred, well, I I believe in your achievements. They're great, but never think yourself worthy enough for a woman like Esme. All of this stuff is where I'm kind of going... Why is this necessary? If you look at the start of the episode to the end of the episode, what actually happens between Esme and Alfred is Alfred goes and meets her father, comes back, and if you skip about another 10 minutes of what's going on, by the end of the episode, they've moved in together and they're engaged. That's kind of the same position they were at the start, except they didn't have a flat. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know why you need this amount of drama over throwing rings at each other and fighting and breaking up and getting back together. This is, I think, the third time they've broken up and gotten back together. This isn't Sam and Diane from Cheers, you know, <laughs> but it feels like it already. Absolutely. I, I think, and I think that's why I just kind of dislike the whole, you know, upper class, lower class, ha- having it within that context because the, because by the end of it, they're back together again. And it, there just seems to be no reason for having this in here. Um, I, I do personally think it's the poorest part of the, the writing and, and the episode so yeah. far yeah. is this relationship between Alfred and Esme. It feels detached. It feels cold anyway between these two characters. And um, I know we've, you see them having intimate moments, but something about the the way and um, the dialogue is written for Esme and maybe how it's delivered it just kind of doesn't really make me feel anything towards this supposed connection and yeah. relationship between the two of them and um and then you have these breakups and, and coming back together again and then you have this thing it, it almost makes the meeting with his father redundant and i think that's why as well mm-hmm. i don't like it yeah so um it, it you know it's a bit of a negative start really but i think um you know i want to see alfred with someone and i want to see this relationship develop or another relationship develop with yeah. alfred i want to see him have that kind of relationship you know there's one specific scene that i didn't like at all it's where Esme is coming to Alfred and the lads and, and Dave Boy and Baza and saying goodbye to them because her play has been picked up and moved to a new theater. So she doesn't think she's going to see Alfred again because she's giving up her job as a dancer. 
and she just looks like a child walking up to him going, well, I thought I'd never see you again, so I wanted to say goodbye. And you can see the two lads, Baz and Dave Boy, just look at her going, right, see, as, you know, it's like, it's one of those moments, it's like something that you'd see in a, in a kid's TV show when someone's moving schools and is going to say goodbye to their friends and all the friends are kind of going, okay, well, we weren't expecting you to say goodbye, but I guess we'll say goodbye again then, you know? Yeah, I mean, at, at this moment, it, it just seems adding unnecessary complexity mm-hmm. to to uh, having to fit it into the, the, the episode. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel like it means anything at the moment to yeah. me. I, I don't get that sense uh, that Alfred and Esme should be together. So, I mean, let's see how it But they have rented out a flat, as they call it, an absolutely massive flat in London. I guess in this timeline, maybe flats are cheaper than they would be now, obviously. I would say so. But it's absolutely massive. They rented out this flat together for the year. Uh, One other really quick thing before we get off this point, just in that conversation between Alfred and his dad and his mom in their house, now, we saw that we don't really like Alfred's dad. He's he's really putting on Alfred to, to become a future butler, which we know he will eventually become. But we kind of liked him in the first episode when they had that fight with Beth and we see mom and dad side by side kicking Beth on the ground. There's a suggestion in this episode that his father is abusive to his mother and yeah. has been in the past. Now, this seems to come out of nowhere. And the fact that it's left the way it's left means to me something as big as going to happen between father and son in the future. Yeah. Um, it's left with his mother saying, quiet down, Alfred, you're under his roof. Less said, soonest mended is the phrase that she uses. And Alfred throws it back at her and says, you always say that. And then eventually calms down, apologizes to his father for being rude, effectively. And his mom calms down. And then he said, you're probably right, mom. But it feels like this is something that's going to explode in Alfred in the future. And hopefully it does, because leaving the situation here where Alfred will leave his mother to be abused by his father, who thinks she's acting up occasionally and needs to be treated the way he's treating her. Um, it wouldn't do much for Alfred's character, I think. I think we need to see him stand up to his dad properly about this in the future. His dad seems like a bit of a bore, uh, to use Esme's term for her father, but I'd like to see something come out of that in the future. But just wanted to highlight it. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a little bit of a roller coaster ride with Alfred's dad. You know, you're kind of thinking, oh, okay, he does care for, for Alfred, helping him sort of beat up uh, Bet. Uh, but again, he is cast as a cold figure slightly mm-hmm. detached from his wife and his child Absolutely. and now with the suggestion of being uh, physically abusive to to his wife so yeah, yeah we'll see how it goes yeah. i think on to question two mm. who is the code breaker yeah let's have a little bit of discussion about in thurslow the code breaker in the show i noticed a couple of comments from people who have watched this on the app and may may not have noticed that this is a character called in thurslow um it's not the character Alan Turing. He's not the real-life character Alan Turing. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about him in this point, but Ian Thurslow is a codebreaker with a massive computer that both the Raven Society and the No Name Society want to get their hands on. That's a pretty big thing. But he is arrested by the police because he's gay, which is quite an interesting side story to bring into the episode, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, it's certainly this character of Ian Thurslow um, is seemingly uh, modelled on Alan Turing uh, and his journey of being a codebreaker, uh, working on the science around computational mathematics mm-hmm. and building uh, computers, uh, early computers and setting down laws. Uh, the, there is his boyfriend as well, Sam, uh, as, who is the, on that journey. But they're, they're, they're working out and loving out of a, a barn somewhere in the mm-hmm. countryside with his, his computer. Again, it does look like something um, out of science fiction yeah. um, with flashing lights, uh, whirring lights and all kind of yeah, stuff. It's a little bit Doctor Who like. It, it is. It? I mean I like it. Yeah. I, I like it. Again, it's this it's a computer, but it it's one of those first computers. It it's messing with that time period here. Yeah. It it's really good that they don't shy away from this relationship. Yeah. And there's a great moment from Sam when he has been uh brought into the police station. Ian has been arrested mm-hmm. on a, a count of homosexuality and he is being asked by uh, one of the police officers in the local town, uh, you know, effectively for incriminating evidence against Ian, effectively trying to turn Sam against Ian by saying, you know, just say that he um, took advantage of you uh, in that sense. So really um, 
you know, it's it's all fairly nefarious here. But uh, I do like that he turns to the person, the, the policewoman who he knows and goes, well, your Brian took me off at the Harvest Festival and he's not here being arrested effectively. And it was really, really funny. Yeah. I, I just thought that was kind of um, a really good way. And just the face of this policewoman going... Um, let's get back on topic. Um, yeah, but she seems to have known that that happened as well. Yeah, it's not exactly. like it's it's not like he's living a life hidden. I suppose is, is what I find really good about this uh, this relationship because it's so easy to go. Oh, this is in the sixties. It was a different time, and people had their their attitudes to this. It seems like some people in the police department have a particularly violent attitude towards two gu- two gay guys. That's the way it, f- it comes across, and it feels like she's doing her job asking the questions of Sam, but she knows exactly who he is. She knows him by reputation, effectively, and he's ultimately quite proud of his reputation, it seems. Yeah, you know? yeah I, I think you're right. I think it's nice, this openness about their relationship um, and Sam's comfort within his own skin, even dealing with the police officer. I think the other great thing is there's a moment where Ian Thurso offers um, tea and says, get some biscuits, and uh, Sam goes, but you have arse biscuits. I was like going, is this a euphemism? I know. I was wondering, did he need to get some preparation H in or something? <laughs> like, is that what he was suggesting? But he's actually just saying you have craft biscuits. Yeah, you really, have, bad, you have really biscuits. bad cookies, yeah. I suppose, yeah. for our American <laughs> listeners. It's a very odd one because I was like, what is he talking about here? Um, <laughs> very bizarre. Yeah. But no, I think that, I think part of what you have to understand about the character of Sam here is that he's a bit of a stupid pretty boy, effectively, because you do hear Ian going to him, oh my God, I've cracked it, finally pi is is calculating on its own here and to 10 decimal points yeah yeah. and you hear sam going what's pi got to do with it basically so he's just the silly pretty boy effectively but by the end of the episode he is accepting this is the guy he wants to spend the rest of his life with so you've got to understand that journey of this character of sam that he does want to run away and spend the rest of his life with ian thurslow he's not just with him because he's famous and well-respected kind of thing so that's i I suppose that's just what i caught as being really interesting it's not a glamorous life is it i mean that's thing he's he's effectively sleeping in a barn of some description Mm. where this computer is with um ian and it does seem as though you know ian is on the run as well we have this whole thing where he is hiding and on the run when he needs to be yeah i was i was wondering about that at the beginning are they in hiding right there in that barn and you're right it does feel like they are already in hiding at the at that starting moment of the episode as well Um, do you mind we talk a little bit about alan turing as well because it's really good that they have represented the character the way they have with Ian Thurslow in this episode. Um, Alan Turing had a very different life. He was working as a codebreaker during World War II. Um, it's said that he shortened World War II by over two years and saved 14 million lives by his work for the British government and cracking the yeah. codes of the Nazis effectively. He, he actually broke the code through um, a computer mm-hmm. of the... I can't remember the machine, but it was uh, that the, the Nazis used, but um, it was at Bletchley Park. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it was the Enigma Code. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and exactly. it, it was um, cracked through the computational mathematics and the computer machine that, you know, the fairly early sort of prototypes of computers used and, and built by uh, Alan Turing. Yeah. Um, and so he, he was well respected. And for years afterwards, he worked within the government and worked within many different uh, organizations starting things like the first indications of what we now now know as computers effectively and also artificial intelligence so mm-hmm. there's a number of laws that he's written you know it's, it's kind of a bit like with the laws of robotics yeah. um but he he has written a number of laws that are the the basis and fundamentals of computers yeah. and computer coding and, and how you um program uh computers so exactly. it, it it is um not only did he shorten the war but in terms of now the importance of these machines in so many facets of our lives is hugely uh, important and influential figure yeah but unfortunately uh, at the time back in the 50s you know it was something where that professional life and then his private life of being homosexual mm-hmm. um really didn't marry up and um you know he was arrested and, and prosecuted uh, for homosexual acts yeah, back in 1952, and it kind of destroyed the relationship. You know, when you have people like the head of Microsoft and the head of Apple saying they 
their creation stand on the shoulder of giants. They talk about Alan Turing. That's who they're talking about. But for many years, for, for over 50 years after his uh, his arrest and prosecution for homosexual acts, he was chemically castrated in 1952 yeah. because of those. You hear that a little bit here with Martha Kane saying that's what's going to happen to Ian Thurslow, that he's going to be castrated, actually castrated, not chemically castrated. But that's what happened to Alan Turing. And from that point onwards, effectively, his contribution to the war was kind of struck from the record. Right up until 2009, when eventually the UK government issued a proper apology to him under the under Gordon Brown, there's a huge petition to get an actual apology to this guy. Um, part of the reason as well, he died in 1954 under an apparent suicide. Uh, he died of of taking um, cyanide, but there are suggestions that that was there was actually foul play involved in that as well. So he was hugely badly treated, considering how much he contributed to all of our lives nowadays and to the lives of people during the war. Um, it's interesting as well. This year, it was announced that he will be the face of the uh, 50 ba- 50 pound banknote which makes him the first known gay man to appear on a uk banknote yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, which is massive like that's a huge uh, it's a massive banknote yeah. <laughs> it's a massive banknote i haven't seen a 50 pound banknote no. for quite a while um, but it is wonderful that everything's turning around now it would have been obviously far better if it had happened at the time if he'd been treated like ian thurslow is in this episode probably wouldn't have this kind of legacy attached to Alan Turing, but it's great that people are finally realising who he is. And he's had movies made about him. I think uh, Benedict Cumberbatch starred in, in The Enigma Code uh, quite recently as well. So people are starting to learn about the character. So it's good that he's been kept alive in these types of uh, these types of connections, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I think on to our third question, though, because Ian Thurso is working for someone, mm-hmm. but who does Martha Kane work for? Big um, character. Yeah, massive <laughs> character to be introduced to Martha Kane. Kane, um, you know, what is she, who is she, hmm. what's she uh, working for? Uh, you know, she's introduces herself as a photojournalist by trade to, to Alfred, hmm. but, you know, over the course of this episode, we see that she's working for the No Name Society, but in what capacity? Yeah. Is it that she shares their values and is you know directly involved with the no-name society or a bit like with the suggestion from thomas is she a spook and is she part of the american uh, intelligence services yeah. here again i would even question this um apparent uh, no knowledge of thomas wayne at the moment you know she's asked the question directly by alfred does she know thomas wayne she says no well i'm just wondering you know if she works for the cia if she's involved with the u.s intelligence mm-hmm. services there's certainly a strong suggestion that thomas is as well so what is the situation what is the play here do they know one another martha and thomas i've been looking forward to seeing that or at least from a professional point of view yeah or um ultimately is she working full-on for the no-name society and she's actually a communist infiltrator (laughs) maybe maybe like that's the only two societies that we know about are the raven society and the no-name society the only two that we're aware of is the no-name society the cia or a foreign power like the cia working in the uk trying to get access to these upper class uh, relationships like the raven society trying to take them down trying to get control of the uk government is it something like that because Thomas Wayne is working for a new company. He has at least a year contract in the UK, is what we heard last episode. We know he's going to be around for a while. We know that the Raven Society was trying to take him down, which would indicate that he works for the No Name Society. Yeah. And so does she. So mm, It seems to me it's like um, US involvement with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan mm. to topple the Russians. So it, it it's working within structures of the Mujahideen, which the US would now call a terrorist organization mm-hmm. in order to um, effectively push Russia out of Afghanistan. Yep. And of course, then uh, the Mujahideen transmorphed into the Taliban. And again, then the US took the opposite side yep. at, in order to try and push them and, and deal with Al Qaeda because there was that element there. So, absolutely. yes, it's the murky world of espionage and international intelligence, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And this is part of the reason why we wanted to see this show, this idea of Alfred Pennyworth kind of like the 007, playing both playing along these spy lines, these, this interesting idea that's going on, but really cool to have Martha Caden here working within that society as well. You know, I think that's really that's really interesting to ha- have her added in here. She's not a stay-at-home mom. She's not a, a doctor working from working in Gotham. She's traveling the world as well. She's working in the UK doing this kind of jobs. It's really interesting. Absolutely. I think that's the great thing about this um, 
the show and uh-huh. this episode, and hopefully we'll see more of it because from my side, you know, Martha Kane is um, someone who gets shot in an alleyway and yeah. that's about it. And all you kind of get the feeling is that she is the mother yeah. of Bruce and the wife of Thomas and that she stays in Wayne Manor mm-hmm. and really probably doesn't do an awful lot more than that. Um, probably high life socializing. That's kind of how I've always pictured Martha Kane to get this different version of Martha Kane kind of projected here in this show yeah. is really, really good. And again, I think it contrasts re- like Bet Sykes does really contrasts a bit jarringly for me with Esme. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and this is, I think, another reason why I don't warn necessarily to Esme's character. But in this instance, I think it is great that Martha Kane is this intelligent, um, operative, either for No Name or for CIA, working, uh, manipulating Alfred uh, through loads of dosh that she's got. So she's, you know, she's she's being backed very um, much by a, a wealthy organization. So, uh, yeah, this is really, really interesting. And I hope that in the episodes to come, she is this kick-ass uh, independent woman mm-hmm. who ultimately, um, you know, meets up with Tom Thomas Wayne and I hope then doesn't fall into uh, a, a typical stereotype <laughs> stereotype yeah. I, I can't see that at all though but just to point out this 10 grand that she paid for that one job remember that conversation that Alfred has with Dave Boy and Baza that the job actually was paying five quid an hour five pounds an hour yeah. and he got 10 grand out of her for that one job like that is a woman with deep deep pockets well, if you think five even, quid an hour like yeah. that's half of the normal average hourly wage in the uk that's a that's a minuscule amount in comparison to 10 grand for one job well for backing whenever it's a large mm-hmm. amount and also she gives him the 10 grand because he's willing to put his life on the line so it is that they're trying to airlift ian thurso out of the country yeah. uh, with his computer and they get surrounded by the raven society with the guns and Alfred goes out and basically with Ian and says, well, if you don't leave, if you don't pack up and go, you can come and get him tomorrow. But if you don't leave now, um, you've you've destroyed any chance of um, the plane landing because you've taken out the, the landing lights. And he then threatens to kill Ian and pushes it by cocking the gun uh, at the head of uh, Alfred and that Martha will be in the back effectively breaking up and dismantling his computer. Mm-hmm. I like that she's able to sort of push Alfred into this um, position, but also that Alfred is quick-witted enough at, to to um, think outside the box, really, yeah. in order to make space for them to get Ian to safety yeah. and, and airlifted out the country. So I, I really like this. Well, uh, yeah, and we see a lot of Alfred here. We see a lot of the indication of who this guy is, where he instantly goes, if you're able to pay me that kind of money, you definitely work for the CAA. I don't care what you say. You have all of that money. We're in an airfield in the open landscape with absolutely no one around. You have a plane coming in to pick this guy up. That's a lot more influence than I'd expect from the no-name society. So regardless of what she says, he's not sure of who she is. I also like that Baza had the measure of Martha Cade almost instantly when Alfred's telling her the story of this woman that walked into the bar and she has no idea who this Thomas Wayne is. And Baza just looks at him and goes... Uh, oh, oh! you're good at that now, are you? You're able to read people now, are you, Alfie? Um, don't trust her. <laughs> you get it instantly. Be surrounded by your friends. Your friends know things about you that, that you don't know and can help you in ways you can't imagine. It's really important. Um, we do see that Alfred does set up another job with her for the next for next week and probably next episode, I presume. Um, it's just driving, no guns once again, since he doesn't like violence and doesn't like guns. It's a really good interaction between Martha Kane and, and Alfred here where she says to him, you know, you're not like many, many people I would know, a soldier who doesn't like violence. And he goes, yeah. you don't know that many soldiers. And her response is, my father was a soldier and he doesn't have any kind of nightmares at all. And Alfred responding, well, he's lying to you then. We all have nightmares. We all go through that. Yeah. You know, and we see that in our next question, our next moment really in the episode is, has Davy Boy gone over the edge? Has Davy Boy lost it completely? It's interesting this whole scene starts up with Dave Boy having fl- the same flashbacks to the same mission with Alfred. Um, it seems like what happened so badly in that mission, the character Spanish got shot in the head. We saw that in the first episode. But they carried his body all the way with them, all the way back. And there seems to be this moment in, the, in this, this particular flashback in this episode where Dave Boy sees that the hole in his head is irreparable, um, that this kid is already dead before yeah. they even get him back. That's what it seems like now, again, 
he may he may be alive in some sense, but I think there's that moment where Davy Boy realizes what are we doing carrying this body from the fight that we just had Absolutely. all the way back to camp when he's dead. You know, I, I think this is where the the flashbacks from the previous episodes uh, have really come into their own and, and have paid off in this episode mm-hmm. with uh, Davy Boy uh, and and Baza. You know, I think um, this has been really good stuff seeing this sort of. Uh, breakdown of, of Davy Boy. I, you know, he's wandering around a club basement in his his undies. Mm-hmm. He, he's um, he's drinking heavily. Baza obviously has a better handle on things Absolutely. for sure. Um, we have the Russian roulette element with the the crazy guy uh, who points the gun and then unfortunately dies as Davy Boy throws the gun back to him, but it's cocked and yeah. uh, ready for shooting. Always keep your safety on. Yeah, this. exactly. Wow. Uh, I really like this, and I, I think the thing that really pulled it together and made it so meaningful was when Baza comes back to help Davy Boy at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you get the feeling that Baza has absolutely just you know thrown. Davy boy to the wind. I don't want to get involved in your mess. You just killed someone here. I'm cleaning that up, and now you're drinking again. And and he walks out of of the basement, and then Baza comes back as Davy boy is having one of his moments. And um, you know, you have a really um great moment where Baza is going. I didn't want you to die. You know, he thought he was going to commit suicide. He was on that edge. Yeah. And and you have Davy boy reply to him. I don't want to die either. I'm just trying to pass the time. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like he doesn't want to die, but he's passing the time till he dies till naturally. He exactly. And it, it's kind of like, it was a really great line. I really, really like that. And I think, um, yeah, I think it also part of it is that he's putting himself in situations where he could die as a result of it. But, but he isn't trying to commit suicide. Yeah. It's like, I'll put myself in dangerous situations. If exactly. I die, I die. That's yeah. kind of kind of the point of it. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting uh, moment between these two. I like how controlled Baza is here. He's trying to get this guy to calm down. You know, with a character like Dave Boy, we're three episodes into the show, with this character, you could see him as comic relief the last couple of episodes. The way he talks, the, the way he reacts to things, uh, the way he reacts to Alfred and telling telling him um this needs to be a classy job so you're not allowed to come along dave boy effectively you know yeah. and dave's like i've got class coming out of my arse um, which <laughs> is not the kind of not the kind of thing that that alfred needs he's the straight upper class suit and tie kind of chap you know um so i like that baza takes care of dave boy and sorts him out like that is that is this sorted we're drawing a line under we're moving on and by the time alfred comes back with this story of this 10 grand that he got from a pretty easy mark who has lots of future jobs by the time he comes back with that they've sorted out and they tell him nothing happened while he was gone you know this is a lovely side story in a show called alfred pennyworth that basically alfred never needs to know happened and which i like i like that idea you know you have this you have shows that are really good ensemble shows which Gotham ended off being a great ensemble show. And you start out looking at Alfred Pennyworth and going, well, can you follow Alfred as a character for five seasons with just him as the central character? But you can't. You can't build a show like that. So having these great characters like Baz and David Boy in the background... It's really good. It's a good setting, good good starting point to kick off your show, having interesting other characters who went through things like Alfred. And you can see how they're experiencing some yeah. of the similar things or taking it much worse or taking it much better in the case of Bazzett. For, for me, these two are, are great. Um, and I, I think it, it really helps this show having mm-hmm. these two. Uh, I really like Bazzett. I like his coolness and so on and just how he kind of really sort of interacts and and. and to some degree, doesn't bounce off Davy Boy. He yeah. kind of always feels put upon by Davy Boy. Yeah. It would seem, you know, I expect a lot of huffing and puffing and rolling eyes from Baza, but he he does it in a, a really laconic, kind of chilled out way. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing, you you get the impression that Baza doesn't care, and then he leaves the club, but then comes back to help him. Yeah. And that is where you just go. That's a great bit of uh, of writing. Here. Absolutely, and there is also that true alcoholic moment with Dave Boy where he's sitting at the table during the poker game he's lost all of his money and he turns around to Baza and goes oh I just need a fiver to stay in the game just need five quid to stay in the game and Baza refuses because it's probably the millionth time Dave Boy has asked for just this one more thing and Baza's going that's it you're cut off you're done you're too drunk you need to get out of here you need to sleep this off basically and he Dave Boy turns on him and says to him 
you used to be one of my compatriots. You used to be someone that ran with me in the army. We used to be brothers, and now you're not willing to give me five quid. But I love this conversation. You need to cut people like this off. If they get to that point where they're constantly at you and constantly trying to take from you, you need to put up the wall like like Baza does here and goes, this is how I'm able to survive. You need to find your own way and you need to stop trying to depend on me and forcing me to make you survive or get through yeah. the next hour. That's what leads to their great conversation. So brilliant moments between these two characters. So excited to see some more characters that we've never seen before. You know, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne, interesting to see them build up in the show, but some brand new characters that are going to be fun watching like Baz and Dave Boy. Yeah, exactly. Excited to see it. Yeah, develop those, those two um characters as well which yeah. is really really good and finally because i did mention in the first two episodes finally on this point um it is confirmed by alfred in this episode to martha wayne that both dave boy and baza do work for pennyworth security i know it's a very stupid little point i'm making here but You've i did really call it gotten out. hung up it, on this it got really annoyed me because in the first episode when when pennyworth's talking to the two of them at the funeral he tells them about the security firm and they kind of laugh at him go you're going to be in security and it's never mentioned again you see in the second episode baza and dave boy take ripper and they torture him effectively yeah to do the job, and then it's only Dave Boy that gets some money off Alfred. Whereas in this episode, he finally tells Martha Kane, the guys that work for me are all ex-military too. So finally, we have tick in the box, all I needed, I just needed that moment to go, they don't have an office with a phone, but they do work for Pennyworth. And breathe. But I'm happy they finally explained that, because it was something that I just needed the tick in the box to say, these lads do work for Pennyworth Security, and they finally done it in this episode. So, right. I can move on now. Yes, (laughs) on to question five. Our final question just needs to tie up all the rest of the little bits and pieces that are happening in the episode. Uh, John, you've already mentioned some of it already, but um, the final question really is the Raven Society rudderless, because I thought it was quite interesting. If you notice in the opening titles, this wonderful opening title sequence, which we haven't really talked about much, but the fantastic music and this great image of Alfred running through the city of London being chased by a raven. Yeah. So you would think that throughout this series that the Raven Society are supposed to be the big bads. They're supposed to be his absolute nemesis throughout the show. This episode seems to say they're a little bit done. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting with the society kind of being turned away from picking up Ian Thurslow. Effectively, Alfred saying, well, you know, you can't take him tonight because he's going to be killed. If you try and try anything, we'll shoot him. But there's always tomorrow night and they turn around and, and head off. I'm kind of thinking that the Harwood that we saw in episode one, Lord Harwood, would not accept this type of people who would just give up and walk away at the suggestion that this guy might die. There was like 12 of them there. They could have shot Alfred and then and then Martha and then killed Ian or captured Ian, you know? Well, apparently the machine's like. useless without him. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I can see it from that point because, again, you go in all guns blazing and... Might you, damage you, the machine. You, you or damage Ian, the machine, yeah. you damage uh, or you kill Ian. And Lord Harwood would also be pretty... Uh, uh, tough on the people that had miscalculated in that way as well. Yeah. And I do like we get some kind of explanation from Alfred to say, well, we're going to get ambushed uh, just down the road. Yeah. That's all they're going to do. It, we, we haven't really dealt with this. We've just bought ourselves some time, of which that time is for them to effectively provide gasoline landing lights uh, for uh, the plane to pick up Ian and Sam and his machines yeah. and, and whisk them off to, to safety, wherever that's that a, may be. Yeah, it's such a cool scene. I love this idea of the of, of hitting the gas pipe and, and driving off down the runway, uh, setting it fire. Just make sure that you have enough gas to get away and enough time to get out of the truck before it explodes, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, to the main question as well, mm. Lord Harwood is broken, beaten, destroyed, you know, and has had a really bad nose job. Mm-hmm. So, he smells awful. You know, who is the second in command here? Because, you know, who is third in command? Who yeah. is the new leader of the Raven Society? Are they looking for Lord Harwood? Yeah. Because, you know, yes, he's gone missing. They've dumped him on the street, presumably all scruffy and so on. So will Lord Harwood be wandering the streets? Mm-hmm. Is the torture... Um, the interrogation so much that he's forgotten who he is. You know, what's the deal here? Um, it would be really interesting to see, is there someone else who's stepping, you know, a bit like Hydra from Marvel, yep. you know, cut off one limb, two more take its place. Someone stepped into Lord Harwood's shoes. Yeah. And I think interestingly as well with Bette Sykes, she's wanting to get back to London. 
is she in some ways still in the employ of the Raven Society? Or yeah. is she now effectively kind of on her own? She's this freelancer, you know? Well, everybody thinks she's dead, I suppose, is the, is the interesting part yeah, of it best. So nobody really knows whether she, who she works for. Does she work for anybody? Because, you know, she's gone, basically. They thought she was hung. Um, the other question, and of course, we still have to ask it because we did say it, was Lord Harwood lying about the fact that he was the leader of the society? And was he taking all of that punishment to protect the true leadership yeah. of the society. Um, one other interesting thing in here is Detective Inspector Aziz was looking on at the barber torturing him. So, yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah, so yeah. We, ha- we, we kind of are seeing that other delineation of the people in power, like the Prime Minister, um, and effectively the leader of the police service in London being Detective Inspector Aziz. We see that they're working together, understandably, like they would be in normal society. That's the way things work. So, uh, so it does make total sense. But I thought it was interesting he's standing in the room, effectively conducting the barber to continue his torture of Lord Harwood, you know. Um, so he's much more involved than I thought he would. I thought Aziz would be more likely to be potentially working with Alfred. He'd be his connection yeah, to too, the police actually. force or something like that. But it seems almost like three different factions here. You have on one side, you have the No Name Society, other side, you have the Ravens, and in the middle, you have the establishment, effectively, who don't want to be torn down by either side, as the Prime Minister said. So uh, so that's quite interesting, just seeing all of these. And then, you know, the other people in there, like Alfred. Um, interestingly, in this episode, we saw episode one, we saw Raven Society trying to recruit Alfred. Episode two, we saw Thomas Wayne trying to recruit Alfred into whatever organization he works for. He didn't name it, because <laughs> it's no name. Uh, he didn't name it. But yeah. in this episode, Martha Wayne does recruit Alfred into the No Name Society, effectively, because he's going to be working for her on future jobs, paying him the kind of money that he wants to be paid. And he doesn't really care that he's slightly working for the No Name Society. <laughs> like, no, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So each episode has had a moment where they've been trying to recruit Alfred. In this episode, somebody finally did. And I think the the one final bit for me is is up north, uh, the Sykes <laughs> sisters. Uh, well, they are Pe- Peggy Sykes is getting back to her sadomasochist ways, yeah. and I, I love the fact that they they knock at this sort of suburban semi detached house uh, up in northern England somewhere, and goes, "Is Lulu there?" As there's a lady stood there, who's Lulu? And we see her husband come down. So mm-hmm. they lay low here. Presumably they've got something horrific hanging over Lulu. Yeah. Uh, but we do see him in kind of gimpy outfit, uh, sort of on his knees and hands and knees uh, under the table, whilst his wife, who was like, who's Lulu, is washing dishes in her underwear. So, yeah. yes, I think Peggy is a very interesting lady indeed. Uh, but Bessie Sykes... Uh, is getting a little fidgety. Absolutely, here. but I love that all of this is going on. The two of them are sitting at the breakfast table waiting on their next cup of tea from, from this man's <laughs> wife. And they don't seem to be paying any attention. This just seems to be an average day for them. I don't know why Lulu is under the table in an S&M gear tied to the table, <laughs> but I love the conversation that's going on when Peggy's going, I'll have a nice cup of tea. Would you like one, dear? And he's like, no, thanks, <laughs> from under the table. I think that's really fun <laughs> to have these really creepy, weird characters and whatever's going on and how they're able to manipulate people. But again, remember the last time we saw Peggy or the first time we saw Peggy receive that letter from Bet, it was delivered to her by a man in S&M gear in another kitchen, a different home completely. Yeah. Was that Peggy's home or was that another person well, she that's had true. Uh, something on? Because they're in the house of Lulu, which kind of yeah. sounds like our drag family name. <laughs> it does, yeah. <laughs> Named after the popular 60s singer. I was kind of wondering, was it the home of Lulu, the popular 60s ah, singer? Because you know? okay, she's, yeah, yeah. she's from Liverpool, isn't she? Northern England? Uh, Scottish. So- Oh, she's from Scotland, that's right. Yeah, very Glas- northern England. Glasgow. <laughs> very northern yes, England. Yes. So northern England, it's actually a different country yes. called Scotland. northern UK. Apologies, yeah. that's right. Um, but I was wondering if that's what they were doing. They were calling over to their mate Lulu's house, you know, before she became famous. Because, as we've mentioned, all the episodes of Pennyworth are named after famous uh, characters from the UK. Uh, famous female characters from the UK. So there's none named after Lulu. I just thought it'd be interesting if they were bringing her in. Turned out to be a 60-year-old man uh, and now in SMM gear under a table in his kitchen. Uh, great, great suits. Really interesting and i also love the creepy part of bet once again going well i'm going a bit stir crazy i want to go back to london and peggy saying to her but you don't know anybody in london everybody thinks you're dead and she goes but that's a bit romantic isn't it and i've got my new friend esme to talk to it's like it's just really interesting where you get that creepy bet sykes going after esme next episode that could liven things up back in london next week couldn't it yeah absolutely Mm. um so let's see yes 
Uh, with that, onto our notes. Yeah, there's a couple of notes about the episode. I loved this version of Black Sabbath's Paranoid that's playing in the club uh, with the dance troupe going on around it. I think this is a bit of a reference um, to the, the group Pan's People from Top of the Pops uh, back in the <laughs> 70s and 80s. Uh, the band originally, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne's band, released the song in 1970. So again, another early version of the song before it was officially released. But you see this group dancing along with the song. Back in the 70s, they used to have this group Pan's People on Top of the Pops who would basically do a dance for any song that the band couldn't perform on stage. <laughs> so you had these really incongruous, sometimes they did great routines, they're great dancers, yeah, don't get me wrong, but they do these really weird routines to songs you just wouldn't expect. And one of those would absolutely be Black Sabbath. Yeah, Can you imagine Black Sabbath with a, with a group of dancers <laughs> on stage? Because this is what it looks like. Because they keep the guitar riff and everything, they just slightly change it up with a little more 60s pop type to it. So I thought that was really interesting and I saw a nice little callback to things that I remember from maybe not my childhood, but my parents' childhood and my brother's childhood. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a few uh, Pennyworth phrases here. We've got, well, actually, a Davy Boy phrase. He calls Mazza his oppo. Mm. Now, I remember this, uh, my dad's calling his mates oppos. Right. Uh, and it is. It's a British slang term for a friend, a mate, an associate. So, you know, my work oppo or my right. army oppo or, or whatever. Yeah, so, very good. Yeah, O double P O. It's a really weird word, but yeah. um, it, I've not heard the word in ages. Right. It's a really um, sort of. I would say could be dead almost in terms of yeah. the use in, in the the British slang. But um, bringing yeah. it back, bringing it back with Pennyworth. <laughs> There's a couple of little phrases that were in there from Pennyworth. I think he says his car is on tick for 10 quid a week. He says that to his dad and then he says he sold it on. But car on tick basically means it's on lease. You're kind of ticking off on a lease basically you're paying money towards a 10 quid a week towards buying this car over a long period of time just thought it was interesting because i'd never heard the yeah. phrase before uh, as well um but one i have heard before but just wanted to point it out was just i like when they're having the conversation with baza and baza's going you better take care this sounds like a bit of a dodgy job and uh, alfred says to him if it gets a bit larry i'll bolt because i haven't actually heard that phrase in, in a bit of time it's generally a london term for if things start to start, turn sour i'm out of there yeah if it gets tr- if it gets a bit troubling yeah, if if trouble starts to brew, yeah. if, if it you know a bit of a fight or something, if it starts to get sort of you know tense situation yeah. um, or dodgy situation, then I'm off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But the phrase was made very famous uh, reasonably recently with uh, the Kaiser Chiefs and I predict a riot where they say if things get Larry, watching people get Larry, uh, things are turning into a riot basically. So people may know the phrase, but I thought it was an interesting one. That's it for notes for the episode. Overall, John, what do you think of this episode? Episode three of Pennyworth. Yeah, I really like this episode. Um, I would give this four arse biscuits out of five. Um, <laughs> four yeah. terrible biscuits out of five? Yeah. Okay. I just use the word arse. Um, why not? Or four nose jobs um, <laughs> out of five. I, I really enjoyed this. I, I still have an issue with Esme mm-hmm. and Alfred's relationship. And I think the whole... Um, just the feeling around that I, i'm just it's not working for me yeah. if i'm totally honest and i i think something needs to um switch up on that really quickly and um but the rest of this i i, I really enjoyed I, I love meeting martha kane absolutely fantastic ian and sam really good to see this kind of tribute to alan turing uh, in here uh, and one that ends on a happy note other than the life that alan turing has you know which uh, that contrast i and i think as well baza and davy boy uh, having their own storyline here separate to that of alfred was really nice and I, I thought that really helped with the flashbacks to the army you know it, it kind of put some sense on them for me and um and also bet sykes and indeed her sister peggy um I love these two, uh, even though they were hardly in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, who doesn't want to meet Lulu uh, and wonder what the hell is going on <laughs> with the Sykes sisters? I uh, really do want to see <laughs> that title card before their bits of episodes going, meanwhile, up north with the Sykes sisters. Yeah, <laughs> I just exactly. want to see that. Their little five-minute um, bit at the end of each episode. I, I, I think the, these two have got the potential to come into DC canon really really mm, yeah. nicely yeah. to be honest um if someone in dc wanted to because they're intriguing it, it's it's risky mm-hmm. it, it, it's fun it's a little bit different so i, I really uh, like the idea of that and again lord harwood what's going to happen to him is he finished is he done mm-hmm. is he the leader 
we still don't really know. There's still a lot of intrigue here. So yeah, I, I really liked uh, this episode. I, I think it was a nice little move on from the first two, yeah. for sure. Yeah. The only thing still that really is not connecting with me mm-hmm. is uh, Esme and Alfred's relationship. And, and I, I thought almost introducing her father was was a little bit pointless, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, so, and that's why I give it four arse biscuits out of five. <laughs> well, I think that's it for our discussion about episode three of the Pennyworth podcast. Uh, hopefully you've been enjoying the episode as well. Send in your feedback to us. You can email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can join us over in our group on Facebook. We have changed our former Defenders TV podcast group into TV podcast industries. So go find us over on Facebook. Just search TV podcast industries. Please join us for the next episode episode four which has already aired on epics in the u.s you've hopefully already seen it or maybe you haven't uh, we haven't spoiled anything at all for the episode uh, we'll have it out later on this week and then we'll be back to our normal monday schedule with episode five uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can search for just the pennyworth podcast if you don't care about all the rest of the stuff that we cover search for the pennyworth podcast anywhere and you'll see our wonderful big red image appear and you can uh, you can click on that and subscribe as well so thanks so much for joining us for this episode yes so we will be back very very soon with episode four entitled lady penelope who are the thunderbirds going to be i know exactly be interesting stuff looking forward to it talk to you again then yeah, thank you so much, fellow governors, for joining us on the Pennyworth podcast. It's, as always, been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I'm going off to save Ian and Sam and put them on the plane. Uh, I may even give them a ham shank. Uh, and after that, I'll be back to speak with you again soon. Bye. Bye.